This episode is a suggestion from Valerie Suenseri, I hope I'm saying that correctly, and a fantastic suggestion. Thank you very much for doing that. It took us a little time to put it together, to connect, because as you will hear, uh, Lindsay, my guest, is all the way across the planet in a different part of the world, living a very fascinating life. Here is a full conversation with Lindsay Gassick. Hi, Dave. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm okay. <laughs> Just okay? Are you exhausted? And um, where are you right now? I'm in Penang, Malaysia. Whew. Man, you live an exotic life. It sounds like there are bugs buzzing around. No, there are no bugs buzzing around. Oh, okay. So we may be having a little bit of Skype interference, but I'll choose to interpret it as an exotic sort of um, something rather in the in the con- in the in between between us digitally. Um, thank well, you for being so. It's a sick. lot of space. It's a lot of space. So it really is. We're very far apart, and I appreciate you being so patient with um, us trying to figure out our scheduling. And even in our conversation leading up to this, I think there was an hour off or something. So it almost threw off our ability yeah. to chat now. So. I, it was my mistake. It was my. I I got the timing wrong. I was. I'm having a lot of technological issues with my computer breaking and stuff. So I wasn't. I didn't. Able, I wasn't able to look it up the way that I usually look up time. So I just guessed. You know, like what I thought the time would be, but I wasn't sure. For some reason, I thought you were based in Texas, but I guess you're based in California. I am in California. Yeah, and I um I had yeah. I had looked it up as well, and I was. I don't know that I was looking up an AM PM difference, but it should be the same. I was like, oh, okay, it's this time. It should be around here. Anyway, we managed to overcome this, and you were very patient yeah. putting up with I, our original conversation scheduled date was um, right after I got back from driving across the desert with no air conditioning. I feel wow. like <laughs> yeah, I feel like I may have died, and now I'm living in a different reality. It was pretty uncomfortable. But, what um, were you doing driving across the desert? So we went to a wedding in Santa Fe, my um, life mate and I, and then when we were we were in Albuquerque heading back to Los Angeles, going up a hill, and uh, not really paying attention, then suddenly like, hey, does it feel um, like only warm air is blowing into the car? And then uh, we, t- we checked the vents and we're like, yeah, it does feel like that. And then we got over the hill and thought, well, the, the air conditioning will pick back up. And it did not. And uh, oh, we, we kind of realized, yep. like, oh, it's broken. And then um, we got it looked at in Phoenix. But anyway, the whole journey was something else. We made little spray bottles, and we had to put a little cold pack under our dog and try to keep him alive. And then it was only toward the end where I was really, I felt like I was kind of hallucinating and which is just so pathetic that people used to cross on like horses and things and I was still like, oh God, I can't do this. Yeah, but there's a difference between like sitting inside like a stagnant car, you know, versus like walking. That's true. That is true. Yeah. 
I'm curious how. So can you hear this ambient sound that sounds like a dragonfly or something? I can't. No. You can't. Okay, that's good. So I can hear it on my yeah. end. I'm assuming it's being picked up in the recording. I'm I'm hoping that people will just picture you in kind of one of those mosquito tents with <laughs> large dragonflies buzzing around because you seem to live a very exotic life and I'm so curious as to how it came about um, Val or Valerie who put me in touch with you who you said you were for the most part unfamiliar with I think she just frequents your blog and I can see yeah, why yeah it's hard, hard to know you know people use different usernames on Instagram you know it's hard sometimes to know like sometimes someone will email me and Instagram me, but I don't put them together until like a lot later because the names are different, right? Yeah, so yeah. It can be really hard online to know exactly who you're talking to. I just think it's so fascinating. One, that you live the life that you do. And people, I mean, I guess if people are listening and they, you know, read the description prior to, they're like, yeah, what is this all about? But if they're just listening cold or blindly right now, they're like, get to it. What makes it so interesting? But I think okay. not only no 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 I I'm I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep feathering it in there because I think it's not only fascinating what you do but that people would frequent your blog and become followers and subscribers and really it must be very um, voyeuristic for them to a certain degree or just it's so atypical I think there's something very um, engaging about that I think it's just the exotic nature of it, the fact that, you know, these are things that, mm, you know, I work with a lot of different wild fruits that for the most part people never ex- imagined existed. So I think it has a lot of the same attraction as sci-fi, uh-huh. you know, where it's just something that you had never imagined possible and it startles people and it makes them dream a little bigger. And yeah. that's pretty exciting. Yeah, you know, because the cynical part of me feels like they only put a microphone in front of people who are successful, whereas if they put a microphone in front of people who had tried and tried and tried and never had any success, it would become very clear, like, hey, you can't just do anything you want. The world is very challenging. you have to define successful. Successful in what uh, aspect, Right. Sure. And I would say on your end, I would I would guess that just by and probably from a lot of the messages you get or people that take your tours that you are not working a day job and you are doing something that you're passionate about. And yeah, so that would seem like successful in that like, hey, you found this thing you really like and it has led. Yeah. You know, I think that um, I'm not sure what what angle exactly you want to talk about on this podcast, but. Um, oh, so it's so interesting because people assume that my, I live a life of vacation, Mm -hmm. right? So it's a double-edged sword with freedom comes great responsibility because you have to take care of yourself, Mm -hmm. right? Like I pick my work schedule, but that doesn't mean I don't work. Yeah, just based on our correspondence. Yeah. So to get into it further, like with you leading, as far as I know, and be, you mentioned like a variety of uh, exotic fruits, but the durian and and the, just glancing over the blog and like your level of reverence for it seem to have has seems to have been the entry point. Like I'm fascinated by this fruit. I want to know more about it. I want to lead excursions and expeditions to go find it. And that seems like it. Oh. 
Is am I way it, off there? You're way off. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it never went into this with a plan. You have to realize. I think like most people, I wanted an excuse to travel. Um, most people want to travel, and I was young, and I happened to graduate college during the recession. There were no jobs available to me, so it wasn't really a like a grand like off into the, the wild. It was more of a like I don't know what to do with myself. I guess I'll go to Asia for a year and hope to figure it out. Right. Cool. Yeah. So, you know, that's the reason why people travel. People travel because they're looking for something. They're either looking for escape from their present life. They're looking for answers about what what they want um, or they're looking to relax, you know, or just to enjoy themselves and get, you know, get an escape um, for a while. So people always travel for a reason. And so I was traveling because I just I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't really have a great purpose. And, um, like I said, there was a recession. My father was actually the one who told me to just go out, you know, go be a backpacker, get some life experience. And when you come back, the recession will be over and you can get a job. Um, where are you from originally? I'm originally from Oregon and we got hit really hard by the recession in the area that I was living at the time. So I would, uh, I used to say this, like doing stand up around that time, like it became very difficult to do that. And then it, this current boom or bubble or whatever you call it with stand-up, I felt like was in a weird way kind of um, a, re- a residue from that, that people that had, you know, done everything they were expected to, graduated college, gotten on a track to have a career that they wanted, and then found out there was no job, kind of went, well, I'm going to just go do this thing I wanted to do. And so tons of people flooded into the arts, you know, music and comedy, et cetera. And which, yeah. as someone that was in early, I was like, oh, this sucks. Like, everyone's in here. And they treat it like a job because they were so prepared. They're like, well, I got a network. I got a, you know, I got a market. And they knew all these skills. Mm. As opposed, I felt like you could get away with being a little bit more, I don't want to say lazy, but a little like, yeah, I'm just going to kind of do it and see where that takes me. Whereas people that got in afterward were like, no, 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 I'm treating this like my career. And they were very diligent, very driven, very motivated. So when you went yeah. to when you went to Asia, did you have that feeling of like I'm gonna figure out something and really pour into it, or was it kind of a gradual, just like I'll see what shows up? I knew I had to support myself somehow. I did not have enough money to survive in Asia for a year without some kind of income. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started working online, doing different things, and I I started a blog. So that was where this all started was that I just started a blog as a place to store photos and memories and to share with my family back home. Mm -hmm. And this was just a free blog on blogspot.com. It had really terrible layout and everything. But within a few months, I noticed that people besides my family were actually reading. And I was getting emails from people asking for help to do what I was doing. And then in June of that year... I got on some local media, right, because they were so interested in my project, and that kind of blew things up a bit, Um, and I realized that what I was doing had some actual potential besides just giving me something to do with my time, you know, something to learn about. So, like, the, I guess the, the middle area there, the part that seems kind of fuzzy to me that I'm fascinated by is, like, so you're doing it as a blog, but what is it exactly that you're photographing, and what are you doing during your day in, in like, the real world? You're just touring around or, or just well, what is the real world that's <laughs> 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 all the real world um so okay so i had started this project i knew i wanted to travel 
And I was married at the time to a guy who was obsessed with this fruit called the durians. And I had been very interested in durian because I noticed that for some reason people were very obsessed with it. So I don't know what your reader base, how familiar they are with durians, but they're an exotic fruit in Southeast Asia. They're very large, they're very spiky, they're very smelly. They have a very intense aroma. They smell very different depending on the variety. And uh, they do kill people sometimes when they fall out of trees. So there's a lot that's very interesting about them, but what was most interesting to me was just the way that other people were willing to travel for them. There's this thing called the Durian Trail, where people who are really obsessed about durian would be willing to move countries to eat durian every day for you know however long their trip is. Because if you want to, you can change season, and you can, you can change country to stay in the durian season, and you can eat durian all year long. So this is called the Durian Trail, and I just thought the people who were following it were like super interesting. And I wanted to learn more about them, and I wanted to learn more about why people were so obsessed with this bizarre fruit. Um, and that been... seemed like a good excuse to travel, you know, a good excuse to see the world. Um, I didn't really want to do the normal tourist thing where you just like go to temples, and I felt like I would still feel really lost doing that. Um, so I decided, you know, to have a focus and have like a purpose and have like some reason that I would need to talk to locals and I would need to like reach out of my comfort zone and like actually talk to people. So I used durian as my excuse to uh, kind of explore the culture and the different areas and like have a next place to travel to. So I just followed the durian trail for a year. And that's why my blog is called Year of the Durian. It's, it's not only fascinating that you are doing it, but to me, um, and first of all, the, the uh, listenership of this podcast is very durian oriented. They know all about okay, it. Okay, great. <laughs> um, I would... I, who knows? They might be. Uh, but uh, how did you, because it sounds simple enough to be like, oh, I just knew these people were interesting and therefore I wanted to go do that. And in a, mm. to a certain degree, it sounds like those people that in the maybe the 60s or 70s would get in a VW bus and hit every Major League Baseball stadium. Like, oh, I just want to do this or the Appalachian Trail here in the States or something. But I always feel like people have this thing now where they get online and they go to five or 10 websites and then they go, mm-hmm. huh, what am I doing here? What am I it seems like something out there I don't know of or I, a site that would be perfect for me that I can't find. And you just kind of sit there aimlessly and scroll through looking for links maybe. And, and when people do know about things like the durian culture or something like that, I'm so fascinated like where that came from. Because you were just out of college, like a young person. Even to know of the people that are going on the durian trail, like how did you know right. that you wanted to be a part of that? Okay, so I have to go way back in time to when I was 18, and I became a vegan. Okay. I'm a vegan. I've been a vegan for 11 years now, and vegans can be very interesting. People who um, who migrate toward alternative diets and alternative lifestyles have a lot of very interesting things that they are also very interested in. Uh, so I became part of these different communities that had different knowledge, um, and one of them was that they were super into durian. So I have a, a really bizarre story that I, I get to tell the media sometimes, which is, um, so the next year, you know, I was interested in veganism and it happened to be that a guy named Matt Monarch, who was a raw food guru on YouTube at the time, um, and he happened to be getting married in my hometown, which you have to realize in Oregon, my hometown had 14,000 people. Okay. It was completely random for him to be coming to my hometown to get married. 
And this is and like pre people being to, like big YouTube stars. Yeah, this was 2008. Yeah, so this is so like pre I, early YouTube. You you knowing of this person, I I would guess even in your town of 14,000, you're like, guys, guess who's coming to town? And people are like, no idea who that is. Yeah, nobody knew who it was. Nobody cared. Nobody was following veganism. You know, I'm from I'm from like a little town in Oregon. You know, Portland is really well known for being really vegan friendly. But mm-hmm. if you look at the rest of Oregon, it's a red state. Yeah. So, you know, nobody was vegan where I was from. Um, so anyway, and it happened to be that he was going to be there on my birthday. He was getting married on my birthday. So, and he was turning his wedding into this kind of like a vegan food expo and uh, educational seminar. And he was looking for volunteers. And I thought, why not? It's super convenient. It's free. It's right here. I'll go. So I go to this event. And we get to camp out. It's sort of like an outdoor like retreat center kind of thing. And the volunteers are camping. And I keep smelling this weird smell. It's everywhere. And I can't figure out what it is. And they have all this weird superfood stuff there. You know, they're doing like um, Shilajit, which is basically dirt from Peru or something. Mm-hmm. And MSM powder and like all kinds of crazy powders. And um, so there's all these like superfoods and everyone's trying to get really healthy. And <laughs> so I'm smelling this weird thing. And people are telling me that it's durian. And I'm like, what's durian? And they're like, oh, it's this like fruit from Asia. It's super exotic. It's going to like raise your chakra. You're going to feel so good after you eat it. It's going to make you high. And it's going to change your life once you taste it. And I'm, I'm kind of a skeptic. I'm like, whatever. But I was still really interested in it. But nobody would give it to me. No one, no one was willing to share. So I couldn't find it. You know, I was smelling it around the camp. But no one was willing to share. And that in itself made it a little <laughs> bit more interesting. You know, because everyone was sharing all the Shilajit and everything. But... Not and durian. I picture, and I've been around <laughs> a few of these, like, um, I guess people that would describe themselves as very, like, holistic, natural, spiritual to a certain degree, a lot of, like, natural fibers, uh, you know, whether they are outside a tent or just very, like, of the earth, maybe hitting drums, maybe probably some marijuana yeah. going on. And I the don't idea- know. They were doing a lot of cacao ceremonies. Okay. A lot of chocolate going around. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't associate that group with being like, no, you can't have this. You didn't yeah, smell so anything. Move it, along was, here. it was very interesting just that, that nobody wanted to share it. But there was one lady who had um, freeze-dried durian, which is when they remove all the water um, from the fruit and it becomes like a crunchy thing. So she gave me a piece of the freeze-dried durian. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. But I didn't really like, wasn't that wowed. Yeah. But so when I went back to college, I went back to my um, I was going to college in Eugene. They had an Asian food market there, and so I bought my first durian, and I just wanted to I just wanted to try it. You know, like I like trying new things. It's it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like the idea that there was this thing out there that I could not imagine what it would taste like. You know, like I feel like in the food world, there's pastas and there's noodles and there's rice and there's all of these things. But once you've had one, like once you've had one pasta dish you kind of understand what all the other pasta dishes are going to be like, right? Yeah. Or like once you understand noodles, you're like, okay, I understand what a noodle is. But when you're faced with a new fruit, you're like, I have absolutely no idea what the texture is going to be like, what it's going to taste like, you know, like what it's going to feel like in your mouth. Like there's just no, there's there's no way to imagine it before you just put it in your mouth. So it's really like leaping into the unknown every time you taste a new fruit. Um, And that's pretty exciting to me. What would you describe your familiarity with the freeze-dried? Was it like, you know, because if you eat banana chips, there's almost no no expectation as to like what an actual banana would taste like. Was it in the part, like that same sort of uh, yeah. ballpark? Yeah. 
Yeah, it was similar. It was like it was crunchy. It had sort of a weird flavor, but it didn't wasn't at all duriany. Um, I actually really like freeze dried durian after you know now years later that mm-hmm. I have had it had it more. But um, at the time, it was just sort of like yeah. But I didn't feel like I'd really had the experience, which is why I went and I bought a frozen one. But would um, Dor- would Dorian people say like no 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 you can't go buy it just on your own you got to have a ceremony you've got to go find it those that's guys? part of the journey yeah are there people like that like you got to find it in the uh, wild you got to chop it down you got to eat it that way you can't go buy it at a store is that part of it yeah okay well so one thing you got to realize is for people who do want to go out and try their very first durian in the United States. Um, Back then, the only durian that was available was from Thailand. It's in a variety called a montong, which means golden pillow. And montong doesn't freeze well. So it actually freezes pretty terribly, which is why I think most of the videos you see on YouTube about people, you know, in America tasting it, like on like Mashable, um, they're like, oh, the texture's so weird. It's so gross. I would say part of it is because they're eating a frozen one, uh, Ah. the frozen montong. Mm -hmm. Now you can get a Malaysian durian. And the variety that they're freezing from Malaysia, um, it has a much better texture. It freezes much better because it's lower water content. The, the one from Thailand, the Montong, it has a tendency both to be frozen when it's not ripened uh, evenly, right? It, it just doesn't like ripen that well for freezing because some parts will stay kind of rubbery and other parts will kind of turn soupy. And the rupturing of the cells, because it's fairly high water content, uh, means that it's much more eggy and oniony than a fresh durian. So the the flavor is is much stronger egg onion in a frozen montong than it would be if you're eating it fresh. Ah. Um, and that just has to do with the way that it freezes and thaws. So I would recommend to people if you want to taste your first durian in the United States and it's a montong, do not thaw it. You know, for any reason, uh, because the texture will just it's awful. I can't even I can't even take it anymore. Um, <laughs> So I would say if you should get one of the pulps, like the seedless pulp packages, and then stick it in your blender and like whip it so the the uneven texture problem goes away, and then eat it like ice cream. And it's really good that way. So, uh, yeah, I guess going into, I mean, this is probably, I would guess there's a whole introduction and the whole like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is, it's too specific of a fruit to get into. But if you're just to try to describe it like pineapple, cantaloupe, uh, coconuts, uh, you know, something that you have to sort of has a rind or an outer shell, or how would you describe? It looks like a porcupine to a certain degree from the outside. Yeah. How would you describe like the way that you cultivate it, the way, the perfect way to eat it, what it tastes like? If you just can you take a spoon and like dig it out like you could with cantaloupe? Uh, well, the way that you open it, you know, a lot of people don't know how to open it. Um, back then, you know, in two thousand eight, when I was opening my first durian there were no videos online how to open it so i just took the biggest knife i had and tried to hack it in half like it was like an avocado or something (laughs) Uh, that that doesn't work (laughs) because the the walls are too hard instead what you'll notice is that a durian has five sections and if you turn it over to the bottom um you'll see that there are lines or seams where the five sections meet in the middle and all you have to do is stick a knife down the very center and then twist the knife, and it'll pop open along the seams. All five of them? Well, usually like two, you know, wherever you stick the knife. Yeah. You can see the seams. If you just cut along those seams and then twist a little bit, they just pop open. This it's quite is, easy to open. This is um, very science fiction-y. I mean, this this sounds like a yeah. cool, like, Excalibur sort of, see the seams, insert your blade, then twist, and then you get this cool, like, 
Do, do does light shoot out of it when it cracks open or anything like that? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you can make a mess if you don't do it right. <laughs> so you're holding it like it's um, looking up at you. When you put the knife in, would something like squirt upward, or is is that um, ridiculous? If you do it wrong, it could. There's a lot of jokes about during because the texture of it. People say it looks like um, looks like cum. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lot of jokes about about durian, and then there's the fact that eating durian actually has been proven to raise uh, men's sperm count. Really? So yeah, it's an aphrodisiac. It's real. So there's lots and lots of jokes about it. <laughs> I would guess that when you're leading these tours, especially, and you're so familiar with the fruit and synonymous with it in a lot of ways to some of the tour guests, that you probably get hassled or heckled a little bit because of that. Of what? Like, would you would people be like, oh, I see why you like this fruit. I see why you always leading these tours. Things like that. Do you deal with those type of... It sounds like the clientele wouldn't be that type of person. No, people are really nice. It is a little odd, though, because it is definitely a men's world, the durian selling world. Really? Um, so I work almost exclusively with male uh, farmers and male uh, vendors. Okay. So it, there's very few women in this industry. I was thinking of this when, and I don't know why it is, like play, like flying, maybe not necessarily drones, but old like radio controlled planes or boats or even kites. It seems like boring hobbies like that typically have a very like white male base for whatever reason. They just have like the most time to like, I'm into this hobby now. Is Durian a white dude thing or is it kind of everybody? Oh, I wouldn't say it's a white dude thing. Um, I would say it's a, Every every guy. I mean, like I, the vendors here, you know, they're Asian, uh-huh. right? They're um, they're Chinese or they're Malay or they're Indonesian or Thai. They're they're guys. Uh, it's just that it's traditionally a male occupation to collect the durians to sell them. There's a lot of intrigue, I guess, in the durian selling world. There's like the durian mafia and <laughs> like really? uh, gangsters. Like it's for real. It's really very very interesting. And you uh, that's can part navigate of what's kept this. Me so engaged. This All seems like, yeah, this is, you're such a compelling movie character in this scenario in that you're uh, an American for one and out of, yeah. you know, you look atypical in this world and yet you might be a go-between between certain factions of different mafias in dealing with a fruit. That seems, like, yeah. that's fun. It actually is a big part of it is that I'm, I'm an outsider and so I can move between different, different factions and different worlds um, in a way that other people can can't as easily so um and i try to bring them together more like i try i do try to like make senses of community um and help people network with each other who maybe wouldn't necessarily try to meet each other before they knew me so i'm definitely a networker that way it must seem to you to be relatively normal but to me to hear that a fruit has mafia connections is like hearing that there was an international trade of petting hamsters and it was getting real competitive and different mafia worlds were trying to take over it just seems like such a silly thing like <laughs> hamsters a, yeah like petting hamsters there's a lot more money you have to realize that durian is an expensive fruit so there's a lot of money in it hey hamsters aren't cheap you get a I real, don't hamsters like you buy one for your kid and they kill it in two months yeah you buy another one. boom get that resale gotta keep buying them then they move you up into guinea pigs then chinchillas it's a whole, maybe there's a whole mafia world tied into this that I'm unfamiliar with, but it seems equally silly that like, it's fruit. Why would there be any level of violence or malice or, you know, those kind of competitive aspects involved with it? 
that that seems silly to me. Um. Well, there's things like okay, durians fall off of trees, mm-hmm. right? You don't. I mean, it depends on the, the culture. That's part of what makes durian interesting. Is every culture harvests their durian differently, which creates a different taste within the durian. Uh, so there's different like cultural mores about how you deal with the season, how you deal with the harvest. Some places, someone will come in and like buy the entire tree, and then like they own whatever fruits fall off of that tree. Um, and there's places where people steal them because they're worth a lot of money. So you hire a guy with a shotgun to sit underneath a tree all the time and make sure that no one steals your fruits. Whoa. Um, so yeah. <laughs> when you lead your tours, are you taking them to like uncharted territory or are you paying a fee to go to like farmed durian areas? Oh, both. You know, it's not really unchartered. I mean, you have to realize that Asia is such an old culture. People have been here for many, many thousands of years. So this whole idea that people, you know, you're going way out into the jungle, like, it's not quite so true. It's pretty hard to get out to places people haven't been to. Uh, Um, So we don't really, I mean, we definitely go places that you wouldn't go on your own as a normal tourist. And Mm. because, like, I like to introduce you to uh, really local people. You know, mm-hmm. Make sure that my, my tour guests are really having a lot of interface time with locals. Um, so we definitely get off the beaten track. And for the most part, once we leave Penang, we don't see other foreigners again until the end of the tour. Whoa. Which is pretty, pretty fun. How, yeah. Have you picked up new languages? Yeah. Um, I've been learning Bahasa Melayu. And a little bit of... It's hard because my clients... I also work in Indonesia. And they speak a different dialect of Bahasa. So, like, I get confused sometimes between Bahasa Malayu and Bahasa Indonesia. But I've been kind of working on both. Don't um, we and, of all. course, the people from Java, they speak Javanese and Sundanese. And they just kind of, like, mix that in sometimes, uh, which is really annoying <laughs> for someone who's <laughs> trying to learn. But um, also here in Penang, they speak three different dialects of Chinese, Hakka, Hokkien, and Mandarin. And um, I've kind of picked up some of that. But, again, I get them confused. So... Still working on it. Wow. What do they call you via each language? Are there specific names in each dialect that you'd go like, oh, that's me. They're talking about me. For the white person? Yeah. Or just you specifically, like Lindsay, the white person, or even like white girl or female. They call me the Durian Queen. Really? Yeah. <laughs> this character in this or movie the, Or has the Durian got- Princess. In, in Indonesia, they call me um, Putri Durian. That's phenomenal. You see, you're saying this <laughs> as if it's not that cool. You've moved yeah, to a totally different like, part of the um, world. I'm like Mario character now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everyone, here yeah. comes the Durian princess. And you're like, hey, guys. Yeah, I don't know. I'm a princess. I don't know if I'm a princess type girl, but that's fine. Queen girl or warrior girl? What if you were the Durian warrior? Would that be ideal? What would you, if you could choose? Durian you know, warrior. I don't think... I'm much more of um, a community builder, so I don't really see myself as a warrior. Ah, yes. Hey, everybody, here comes the durian social worker. Something to that effect? <laughs> yeah, the social worker. Let's just all sing kumbaya and have peace time <laughs> over durian. Here comes our um, durian public relations lady. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm just trying to... I like that um, with the durian, you know, what I get to do is I get to funnel money to small farmers, which encourages them to both keep their farms and not sell out and to use more healthy agricultural practices. You know, there's a lot of unregulated pesticide use in these areas, which is unhealthy for people eating the fruit, but also unhealthy for the farmers themselves. 
you know, they have a lot of um, health problems related mm-hmm. to pesticide use. So when I when I get to come in with groups and everything, it's it just an added value. It, it brings them money so that they don't have to spray or they can um, not have to sell to the market. You know. Yeah, because so would, um... it just it just changes their their model. So then they have this added value thing, you know, of having guests come in, um, and so then they can grow their fruits more organically and more healthy for themselves and for um, their community. Um, and I really I, I feel like that is one of my passions, and that's one of the reasons why like I continue to to do this um, these tours. Is it scary the thought of durian becoming like a sophisticated fancy fruit that was very sought after the world over? Like say Whole Foods, especially here in a place like Los Angeles, um, started to really... I think it's already happened, but I don't really understand why the U.S. hasn't caught on yet, to be <laughs> honest. Like here it's definitely a high-end luxury item and there's different brands and different breeds and varieties that are... Uh, more sought after than others and some are are very expensive you know it's like a handbag or something yeah um but the united states has been a little slow to catch on and i feel like that has mostly to do with mm, maybe it's just really fun to go on about how gross it is Uh (laughs) um because some people do describe it as like a smelly cheese or you know like in a very acquired taste so is that one like caviar maybe it's always going to stay in that space where it's not you know universally beloved by everybody yeah i don't think i mean nobody likes everything i mean like i hate bell peppers so you know there's always someone who doesn't like it but i think that there's a lot i think people most people i would say like most people could learn to like durian or would probably like durian their first time if they had the right mentality going into it i think people are really apprehensive when they try it the first time um, they just assume that they're not going to like it or they assume that it's going to be really nasty. But um, my experience, you know, introducing durian to people, I introduce people's first durian a lot of times. They like it pretty much. They're just like, oh, that's really, it's not something I've ever had before, right? It's not within my vocabulary of flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like it, right? Or that's kind of weird, but not bad. <laughs> and then they tend to like kind of think about it for a couple of days and come back and get some more. <laughs> <laughs> That'd you know, like maybe a... it's not like your favorite thing your first time, but then it kind of grows on you a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like stinky yeah. teas is like that. When you taste like a really, really like kind of almost putrid, sharp cheddar. And you're like, Yeah. It's not later. like that. It's really not like that. It's much milder. But I, really, I, I it's yeah, yeah. I just meant like yeah. the sensation of like how it sticks with you, like the taste of it. Do people ever go in? You know, and I I know this isn't how the tour goes, but I like to picture you guys all like hacking with machetes and climbing up oh, yeah, dangerous we, things. And we use machetes. What? Oh, yeah. I was just joking. You really live a cool life. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> so you hack it with these machetes and then you like do that cool movie, throw your machete into the ground and it stays vertical. And then you have a durian and you crack it open and you hand it to someone who's like, whew, they're parched and they're sweaty and they've been trekking all day and finally their first taste and then they scoop it out and go yeah not for me does that ever happen uh well you wouldn't want to eat durian when you're thirsty because <laughs> it's not hydrating <laughs> i love how you did that so casually it's almost like a video game person like actually you would never fight a warlord at that level first you would <laughs> <laughs> okay so say the guy comes no. You throw um, the machete down, you, know, you drink a lot of water, and then someone presents you with this delicious durian. Do they ever then not like it and go like, oh, why did I do all this? No, no. I've never, I've never had someone come on my tour who didn't like durian. 
Okay. Who didn't like after? I've had people come. I've had a couple wives who were dragged along by their husbands. Who, oh, the the worst, (laughs) the best and the worst was this one little lady who you know we always have like an icebreaker at the first lunch where we go around. We we talk about like why we're here, how we got introduced to Durian and everything, and she's like, I'm here for him, and I don't expect to have a good time. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, (laughs) that's gonna be hard, hard customer. But she ended up loving Durian. Uh, uh, eating more than she I think anybody expected from her she really really liked it after um, a couple days and then she had like the best time ever I knew she really she really would. enjoyed herself yep well, that's going in the movie as well this is the part where we're developing how good you are at like changing people's minds you know bringing people yeah. in to the culture I knew she would end up liking it. Is that pretty common? Or has there ever been a, a yeah. person like her that goes like, ah, I came in not wanting to like it and I'm leaving not wanting to like it? Nope. They all have a good time. They end up liking it and then they leave wanting to come back. And okay, so how about you? Like you've done a ton of these tours and you've been doing it how long now? Since 2015. Okay, yeah. So you're you're into it. Like you're not at an old grizzled phase where you're like I've been doing this 30 years but are you at all sick no. of durian at all mm, no I don't think I'm sick of durian I don't always want to eat it um you know sometimes it's been like every day for a while mm-hmm. and I'm like eh, I kind of want a day off I want to eat you know something else there's a lot of other really interesting fruits here you know chumpadax and jackfruits really good jackfruit right now dragon fruit um you know when it's when it's dokong season I really like dokong it's like a type of um, I call it like a gummy grapefruit. They're really nice. Cool. So, you know, but it doesn't change like my intellectual interest in durian and my interest in sharing it with other people. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a, you know, there's two levels to it. Do I feel like eating it always? No. Do I like to talk about it? Do I like to share it? Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Did you ever watch 80s movies where, you know, people go on a, a treasure hunt or something like that and then they get to a foreign locale and they're typically it's like a dude who's been living there among the locals for so long and he knows all the cool haunts to go to and the coolest bars and then the, the back alley places and stuff. But you're kind of that person in a way that like someone would come over yeah. and they're like, "Ooh, a durian, that's fun. And you're like, look out for snakes. That's a kind of spider. Come with me. Pretty much. That's yeah. so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah. So I know I, I'm, I'm a networker, right? So like I know a lot of the farms and the people around here. And if someone's looking for a particular variety, I can help them find it. Um, and I keep track of the seasons, you know, in all these different countries. So I text almost daily with people in Malaysia, Philippines, Indonesia, um, Thailand, Brunei, different parts of Borneo. No, so I'm in touch with like a lot of people a lot of the time just to kind of keep an eye on what's happening with their season um, you know the gossip on who's doing what what's got a new variety stuff like that, that so I'm pretty is, well tapped in yeah I mean if they could spy or have webcams on every different crop around the world and see like ooh that one's coming in good or what they do with the soil there or how'd they get this you're kind of the eyes and ears to say like, oh, here's what they did and here's, this is really working. You guys should try this, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so I will do some consultations sometimes with farmers in different areas too. 
Um, I'm not, you know, I don't have a history. I don't have a background in agricultural science. So all I can do is like, this is what I've seen because I visited a ton of farms. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can say like, this is what they do here. This is what they do there. This is what they do there. I can't tell you the science behind why it works. You know, sometimes I can't because like I, I picked it up cause I listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been invited to a bunch of different symposiums and expos and things like that. Uh, but yeah. So like people will sometimes just ask me for like, like, I'm having this trouble with my durian fruit. You know, I've got this disease. What do you think it is? And I'll either tell them what I think it is or I'll be able to network them with, like, an expert who will actually be able to help them. So I'm able to help farmers in that way, too. Do you ever, and this might be, I've been in the United States the whole time you've been over there, and so perhaps the whole culture, and I'm assuming it is very much uh, different, but here we're still in that uh, culture of of fear-based things but do you do you ever worry about your safety or like knowing too much or or giving away someone's secrets or something like that over there no um i don't i don't really worry about my my safety people are really nice here that is excellent yeah does it feel i mean when you're there and you're a part of it does it feel like something you want to stay a part of like do you miss your family or are you thinking like ah this is something i'll do for a little while longer or are you like this is my life for the rest of it i just Mm. this is my passion it's that's a hard question because i did come into it as sort of a surprise you know like i thought it was going to be one year that's why my blog is called the year of the durian right that was just my my gap year right between (laughs) college and like real life yeah um and so it is sort of a surprise to me as well that seven years later I'm still here um I'm pretty happy with my life I -hmm. think that you know I look at like other people and what they're doing you know the happiness level I would give myself myself a nine in happiness um but maybe it's not forever this particular way that I'm doing it you know like um being a nomad not having a house that can get a little tiring sometimes yeah you can want some stability Mm -hmm. But you kind of have, it sounds like you have the one, like awareness of it too, but like the means to augment that if you should so choose. Mm, I don't know. I think people, well, I know that hmm, people, people have a lot of perceptions, you know, what my life is like from Instagram or from my social media or things like that. And most people assume that I'm very well off. I must be rich to be able to travel this way and I'm on vacation all the time. I would say those are like some of the, the main mis ideas about what my life is actually like. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality of it is that I don't really make that much money as what I'm doing. Um, and so that if I wanted to have a more stable life and have a family and things like that, I would need to be changing things, which is something I'm thinking about a lot right now. Hmm. Um, and I work too much. You know, like that's another thing is that because this is my whole life, you know, I just I just work all the time, and um, I think I work more than somebody who has a normal job. I wonder about that, and not that you're. Um, I, I, I'm unfamiliar with your social media presence, but I think sometimes people uh, have a tendency to try to keep up appearances. Not that you're doing that, but like to keep. Sometimes it can be the appearance of like, oh, I I gotta maintain this outwardly sort of um, th- this this. Um, kind of um what would you call it like this image that i keep up for everybody to 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 think that i'm this person and that could get exhausting but for you it sounds more like you have to keep it going because that's the business you have to keep it all kind of communicating with the farmers and booking more tours and then doing the tours and 
I could see where that would get a little bit overwhelming at times and like yeah it can be especially as you know a one a one girl band um and so I have been learning to hire people for help occasionally if I have the money for it or um trying to do a little bit less you know it's hard right now I just um I published a book this summer actually Sweet. comes out on Saturday. So we're having a book launch and I'm host, I'm hosting a durian tasting, which is sort of like a wine tasting. So I've invited all my farmer friends to come as VIPs. Some of them are going to give presentations about their farm and like the history of these different durians. So I, in the book, I managed to track down the origin point of a few different famous varieties of durian here on the island and um, tell the stories and find the families. And so in the book, you'll find like featured images of you know, sometimes it goes back a couple different generations and I was able to get photographs of some of these older guys um, who started the variety and then find their relatives. And so some of their relatives are coming to kind of represent that variety. Um, and they'll talk about that and give a presentation. And so doing that and then like making sure that I have the variety that I need for the tasting. Um, I promised about 20 varieties. So it will go through them, you know, as a presentation and like each person will come up and talk about it and we'll, we'll taste that particular variety. Um, so it's very much like a wine tasting, but that organization takes quite a bit of my time, right? <laughs> At the same yeah. time, I have a group of um, 22 people coming in from Indonesia for the book launch. And so I'll be guiding them for a couple of days. And then I have another group coming in the following weekend. So it does end up being quite a busy lifestyle and then trying to keep up the blog and emails and then people having trouble with the downloads for the book you know it ends up people that people don't think about all the like uh, back-end stuff you have to do like to manage a website and uh emails and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah i mean so. uh, I, I mean a podcast is relatively similar but much much less extensive just in that i don't have to then go lead a, a podcast tour or anything like that and yeah learn that's new the languages. fun part I yeah I mean from an outsider's perspective I guess because it's so atypical obviously the things you talked about just recently seem not that fun like the the sort of well I have to log these things and keep up with the website etc like no one thinks those things are fun but everything else it seems worthwhile that you have to do those little parts and I would guess some people when they hear it go oh good you have to do a little bit of unpleasantness to have this cool life hmm. maybe they feel that way yeah. or maybe that's the part where like if you can grow it just a little bit to where you can hire someone to just just take care of that end of it to where you could just always be out doing just the fun parts that really would be a dream life it seems well you know i always have to do some of the not fun parts you know like uh, there's always that part you know like every job has some parts of it that aren't fun but yeah i i would like to increase the amount of time that i do doing the things both that i'm good at you know, which would be like creating content, doing the research and leading people and helping people with their travels because a lot of what I do is just helping people travel. Like you can email me and ask for help and I will help you. I do like um, consultations with people. They can call me and I'll, I'll help organize a trip or design a trip for them. Um, and that's the stuff that I am good at. The things I'm not good at are things like bookkeeping. I hate bookkeeping, right? <laughs> so for all the tours and everything's almost in cash here. So you have to like really... Um, keep track of everything Um, and that ends up taking quite a lot of time and then anything that's like IT on my website like when things break like I'm not good at fixing that stuff and it ends up taking me a lot of time so those are definitely things I would I would like help with and that I'm working toward making enough money to hire people to get help and that will be a, a big milestone for me 
Cool. Well, if anyone is listening that is good at IT work and wants to volunteer a little time, that would be a cool pairing if someone that listens to this went like, you know what, I can help a little bit and uh, potentially lighten your workload a little bit. Because it does sound like your life is very much that of a... uh, uh, a movie character and I know I keep referencing that because <laughs> you say you don't have a house and you're like in Mongolia and Malaysia and all these different places I've Kuala. never been to Mongolia <laughs> ah damn it <laughs> um, Thailand where are you going where are you where are your locations that you're you're finding Dorians in right now I'm in based in Penang um, my tour group goes through all of Malaysia so we'll end up going through nine different states here in Malaysia um, I'll come back to Penang and then from here um, I'm leading uh, there's a symposium in Kuala Lumpur on August 4th so I'm going to go down there for the symposium I'm doing some durian hunting up along the Thai border before that so the Belum rainforest which is supposed to be I I haven't been yet but it's supposed to be one of the most diverse rainforests in the world for megafauna which is pretty exciting Um, so you're going to be running like uh, tigers and stuff they have tigers, yeah. They have tigers. And you're not worried? No. Of course not. You got your machete. <laughs> no, I don't I don't think I'll have a problem. Like there's not that many tigers left unfortunately and um I don't I don't think they mess with people for the most part. Oh. Okay. But I'll be I'll be safe. I'm not okay, worried. Good. Um and then after that I'm supposed to be going to Borneo to be working on a new tour. But I just have to see how my finances are at that point if I have enough to invest in that trip. So, yeah. So when you roll into these places, do you have some local inns and taverns where they know you and you give them a sack of money and they're like, ah, Lindsay, welcome back. Your room's ready. That kind of thing. Uh, I don't have to give them a sack of money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have a lot of friends. I'm really lucky that way. I would say that's one of the ways I've been, this lifestyle has made me super blessed is just having a really good, community and a lot of a lot of friends around the world wow and the people who come on my tours too end up being friends and we keep in touch and sometimes i end up visiting them or they come back and visit me on their off time when it's not a tour and we just hang out Mm -hmm. so it's given me a really great community um and that's probably the the best part of my job i i really think it's so atypical i'm just blown away by how different it is and how because they say like um if you want to be interesting just be interested like find something you're interested in and just pursue it and that you kind of went like ah, i think vegans neat hey durians all right and then next thing you know like you're living this life that if someone were listening right now and they went oh i want to do that it's virtually impossible there's no way they could go and get into this really eclectic very specific kind of thing that you've found. Um, oh, they could totally get into it. There's nothing stopping them. So they could be a rival tour guide? Well, I'm, first off, I'm not a tour guide. It's oh, illegal apologies. for me to be a tour guide here. Apologies. So um, I'm a tour operator, and I work with local guides. Oh, okay. I see. Apologies. So no worries. Just, I just want to make that very clear. I'm not breaking any laws here. <laughs> <laughs> so... I don't want to get in trouble yeah, or make yeah. people get get upset with me. Um, but yeah, I know anybody would be welcome to come in. Um, and you could, you could do this. You could travel for Durian. You can use my website. I have tons and tons of free resources on my website. I have over 400 blog posts that are designed to help people travel specifically to different regions to experience different Durians and different Durian cultures. You know, because people do eat Durian differently in different places. So if you're a foodie, it's it's very exciting and interesting. 
I'll bet. Um, and you know And all anybody of, can do it. Man, I just think it's fantastic. When you were talking about the people that go on the tours, and, and maybe vegans fit, fit into this a little more than regular people. I mean, the amount of people that I know in my yeah. life that, has, that have never altered their diet in any way, just because like, well, this is how I was raised. I've always eaten this sort of stuff. Like, but you've never taken a day off? Have you ever fasted for like a single day? Or have you ever gone a week with no, whatever that might be, no dairy, no meat, something. Just something that very few people want to test themselves, test their body. Some people, you know, and some people do this a lot. Like, hmm. you know, I'm going to be celibate for a while or I'm going to not eat this type of food. Or I would guess that the people that come on these tours and maybe I'm way off, but may, I remember like ultra marathon type people from time to time or people no. that are never that, <laughs> not like mountain climbers. I mean, not, not never, but I mean, I would say most people are just foodies. They're people who really enjoy experiencing the world with their taste buds um, and are very engaged and interested in other cultures and they want to come on a trip that's unique and that they'll get to really engage with the local culture and the local geography Um and they, you know, they're very interested, interested and interesting people, right? So it's like you're saying, like you want to be interesting, be interested. The people who come on my tours are very interested in Malaysia and durian and fruits and food, and they be they're very interesting people. But I wouldn't say that they fit any particular category of vegan or raw or um, marathoner. <laughs> you know, they're just people who come from all different walks of life, but are very engaged uh, with food. Yeah, okay, that's good to know. I think something you said earlier, I misinterpreted and it kind of triggered in me that people, because it is such an atypical thing to to go do or such an obscure yeah. thing that I thought like, oh, these are people that are like searching, that want to surf the biggest wave or climb mountains or test themselves, you know, like it doesn't sound like it's that. It's more like you could picture yeah. kind of uh, someone with very delicate hands and brand new hiking boots like oh i'm so excited to try this new fruit yeah i mean it could be anybody i mean um you know my tours i think you have you're kind of exaggerating this idea of like trekking for hundreds of miles through the squelching jungle um (laughs) my tours are pretty comfortable you know like yeah we go to the jungle and we see gibbons and we see different fauna and um you know obviously they're they're mostly geared toward people who are interested in plant foods so whether that's tasting different kinds of herbs in the jungle, different kinds of edible plants. Um, so it is, is easy to gear toward vegans and vegetarians. But most, you know, I get about half-half. You know, I don't, I don't think most of my guests are vegan or vegetarian. Um, and anybody's welcome to come. It's better if you're a bit fit. Like I said, like I don't take people who can't walk up a hill because we're out in the orchard. And um, if you can't, you know, if you have balance problems, unfortunately, people in wheelchairs just can't do it. Mm-hmm. it it's impossible. It's impossible to work around that, and that's that is an unfortunate thing. But um, that's that's the reality of of the terrain. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that you need to be like a ultra adventurous person to just want to go on an adventure. Yeah, uh, that sounds very. It just seems like you get a. V- a very uh, polite group, a very interesting, are the conversations fun? Is it different every time or? Yeah, every group is different. And the lovely thing is that they're, my groups are small. I keep them no more than eight people. So we, we bond, you know, we have very intimate, interesting conversations. Everyone brings something new to the table from their own life experiences. Um, we have a lot of nighttime durian 
feasts. You know, dragons tend to drop at night, so a lot of times we'll sit out in the orchard and wait for them. And that brings up all kinds of interesting conversations. Um, so, you know, people come from everywhere. And my groups are always super international. Like, my last group, um, let's see, who all did we have? We had someone from Sweden. We had two folks from Austria. We had someone from Indonesia. We had someone from an island off of Venezuela I'd never heard of before, uh, Trinidad and Tobago. And we had, let's see, so that was six Sorry, I'm blanking on who else came on that tour. Um, Just that even is pretty incredible. Yeah, we had someone from France. Wow. Yeah. So we bring together people from all over the world. I've had people from Ecuador, um, New Zealand, Australia, Thailand, Taiwan, Hong Kong, uh, Macau, Italy. I mean, really, Hungary. I mean, really everywhere. And so that in itself just fosters something that's very interesting because then we get to share you know, our own culture experiences. And um, I think that that is part of it. And then, then people leave my tour. They have friends from all over the world and they go end up visiting each other. Like I just got this really wonderful text message from my group from December and they had a durian meetup in California because two of them happened to be passing through that area and they made it a, a goal to like get together. And so they sent me some really lovely pictures of them having a durian party. Um, <laughs> so that was really nice to see. I love that. Man, yeah, what a weird, cool thing you have facilitated. And it, does it get, you know, like teachers the first year, they remember every kid in the class, but then five years later they might run into a student and be like, ooh, who are you? Do you worry about that, that the, the relationships are going to become a little um, with, weathered maybe or, you know, like the, the tattered so they won't, they won't mean as much? Um, no. I mean, I definitely don't bond as hard with everybody. They, they usually bond with each other. It sort of depends on, you know, sometimes I'm busy even during the tour because I have to get ready for the next group or I'm busy organizing with the farmers and the activity people for the next day. Or, you know, I have little tasks I have to do during the tour. Like maybe while they're having a durian party at night, I've got to go help fill up the van with, with gas and clean it and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I don't always get to spend as much face time with each group mm-hmm. depending on what's going on. But in general, I would say, um, no, I, I don't really worry about that. And it's always really nice to hear from them when they want to come back and see me again. Yeah, I'll bet. I mean, it, I guess it's like with anything that if, uh, if you're, we were just in Santa Fe, like prior to the almost dying driving through the desert. But if you're just some person that runs a store there and people come through and they have, whatever that might be just uh even you know uh, we had a really great massage or a psychic reading or this saw this art gallery or tried this food and you chat with the the shop owner when you leave there like they they their mem- your memory of them is just so crystallized but to them they're like oh yeah i had eight customers today i don't really remember too many of them but that seems like a big part of it that you gave them this amazing memory that they would then like you said like run into each other in California or make special trips to stay in touch. Cause it is such a specific, um, and unusual thing to go do that, like, I'm going to remember this forever. Yeah. And we end up spending, you know, nine days together, uh, in a place where there's not any other foreigners and we're out in the, out in nature. So there's not really a lot of else to do besides just hang out with your group and go on hikes and, um, eat durian together. So, they end up, you know, that's that's our little family. We become a little durian family moving around and looking out for each other. Um, 
and that's pretty cool too. Well, in the movies, um, there's I think because the things are either harrowing or thrust into circumstances that are um, unusual. There's always a love aspect. Are you falling in love constantly, or are people falling in love with you, or is that really accurate? <laughs> um, I, I don't really know how to respond to that. I mean, I guess people fall in love with Durian, right? And then they fall in love with the country and the people and everything they get to do here. Mm-hmm. So they fall in love with the so. memory of it, the experience. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what you want to give people in life, right? Like, you want right. people to love their life, or at least a significant part of it. Well, when people are coming on a vacation, you hope that they're going to fall in love with the country, mm-hmm. right? Like, so part of my goal is to make the travel so wonderful and all the experiences just so lovely that people come away having had just a beautiful experience, right? So a lot of travel can be unpleasant you know when you arrive in a country there's scammers there's taxi guys yelling at you you don't know how to get money um you can it can be hot you know and dusty and maybe you have to walk a while because you can't figure out where the bus station is or you know like all <laughs> kinds of things like that and, and then i you just look take up away all hills. of that right because i pick people up at the airport and i try to make it just a super comfortable trip where everything flows pretty smoothly from one activity to another so people don't have to experience the unpleasant parts Right, I'm, I'm shielding them a little bit so that they mostly just have a good time. And I feel like that's part of the value of offering a tour is that people want to pay to have a good time. <laughs> so, um, well, I think the part that yeah. maybe you're you're it was haven't even really addressed it yet, or maybe it's just very modest of you that like the little steps involved in getting to that would be monumental for a lot of people. That like, okay, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to lead this tour. One, I'm going to research and know enough about durian or the farmers or where to even find it, but then how to facilitate like getting people accommodations or I'm going to Mm -hmm. rent a van in Penang Mm -hmm. and I barely speak the language and then I'm going to navigate my way in that to the airport and then I'm going to pick up people from eight different countries that I don't speak their language either, then get them to their hotel. I mean, that would seem so overwhelming, especially to someone seven years ago or whatever just right out of college that now you're like an old pro at it like oh yeah and then i well, somewhere along the way i bought a machete that would be a big step <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i was given the machete but <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean there's definitely been all those little steps you know learning to drive here um i would say that malaysia is where i, I learned to drive i mean I, I knew how to drive in the states but i didn't get good at it until i was here um and now I can drive on all kinds of roads and stuff, which is pretty, pretty cool. Man, I just so, find it so fascinating. I think your, your life is really cool and I am glad you're enjoying it yeah. so much. And I don't know yeah, how much... It's, uh, it's a good life. I have a lot to be grateful for. You know, there's a lot of things I still want, but I think it's a, if you stop wanting things, then you're just going to die. So uh, I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> As in the words of Too Short, I'm still hungry. I want some more stuff. Uh, and that's, yeah. a, that's a good drive in life to have. Um, well, I don't know how much time you have. We've talked for an hour now, and I don't want to keep yeah. you. I know you've got your day to get to. so I do. I have a group coming on Friday I need to get ready for. Cool. So can, before we go, what are some steps that still need to be done for this group? And do you know the, the makeup of this group so far? Yeah, this is a group of 20 Indonesians. Um, I know a few of them because they're part of a durian hunting club in Indonesia, and I'm actually really honored that they're coming. They're coming for my book launch on the Saturday. 
Sweet. So they're coming to my event, and I'm just going to be picking them up on Friday a day early, taking them out to the rainforest to see some wild durian species because they haven't experienced that yet, um, and then a few varieties here in, in Penang that they're very curious about. So I'll be leading them around. Um, my steps today is just checking in with all of the farmers and their meals and the accommodations to make sure that everything is set up for them, and then also making sure they get their tour booklet printed out, um, what else do you do for them? I think that's it. And then I have to get ready for the launch this weekend, which means going over the presentations. Nice. I am excited yep. about the book. And you'll, I'm, assure, I'm assuming you share that on yearofthedurian.blogspot.com? No, it's not Blogspot anymore. It's a real website. Holy it's yearofthedurian.com. We grew up. Hey, congratulations. And then there's probably an Instagram link there as well. Or is that also Year of the Durian? They can find me at Durian Writer. I'm a, uh, instead of like, you know, writing with a pen or something, I'm the Durian Writer. Okay. Durian Writer. Yeah. And I don't yeah. think there are a lot of those uh, handles out there in the world, I would guess. So it's probably pretty, you, it'd be so weird if 20 different profiles showed up. Like, ah, all these people writing about well, Durians. There is. There's the Durian Traveler. There's the Durian Writer, which is like riding a bicycle. Mm -hmm. um, and he actually was one of the people who inspired me to get into Durians. So that's partly my, my name is a play on his. So thank you for that, Harley. And there's a few other people who are really into Durian. There's um, a few other blogs. Stinky Spikes is one. <laughs> so. Well, cool. Yeah, this has been people a People can find me. People can find me, ask me questions, get in touch with me. You know, like, um, like I said, it's about community and creating um, the sense of adventure and the sense of friendship. So Dorian is always best shared because they're big, right? You need a couple of friends to help you. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I hope someone listening to this goes and does one of the tours, and I hope they will share it or you all will share it if you do. And potentially, perhaps we will come try to do it because I am just, I'm blown away by how unique it is and how um, out of the ordinary. So, Yeah, it's a different way to see Asia, and I think it's one of the best ways. Yeah. So. I picture getting out in this loud airport and a cab driver's trying to hassle me and just get in the cab, get in the, and then I look up on a hill and there is the durian princess with a machete, like, leave him alone. And then we- Well, I, I wouldn't be on a hill. I'd be standing outside the van uh, helping you put your luggage into it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this is my vision. You're on that hill. <laughs> they built the hill just for this specific occasion. Um, right. Yeah. At the airport. It, yeah, yeah. At the airport, <laughs> they flew in this hill just for one day, and I'm excited about it. I think it sounds fun, and uh, yeah, maybe it's it, really fun. Cool, and maybe take up riding a horse everywhere you go because I think that looks even cooler. I don't think horses do well in this climate. Damn it! But maybe an elephant. I kind of. I think that goes against my vegan morals. But, but you befriend it. You're nice to the <laughs> elephant. We, we do go visit elephants. We do feed them durian. We have an elephant durian party, but um, we don't ride elephants. What? What if this elephant genuflects and like motions with its trunk? Like, hey, hop up there. Would you then climb uh, up? Yeah, I mean, sure. Why not? <laughs> if they were okay. ever insistent. Fantastic. And then you ride along on the elephant, juggling durians, and the machete is like now in a thing on your back. That's pretty cool. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Lind is your last name Gasic? I feel like oh, Gasic. Gasic. I feel okay. like I need an anime like 
cartoon photo of this this image. <laughs> I hope so. so. I think a few animators listen listen to this show. So hopefully someone will animate and or draw that because it really. I just. I'm curious. I assume some other people have this image as well. They're like, yeah, it's safe. I so. like anime. So if anybody wants to turn me into an anime character, I would love that. Cool. Well, I'll see if I can make that happen. Lindsay, <laughs> this has been an absolute delight. Good luck with the next tour and the book launch. Thank you, David. And thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks for being so patient and uh, dealing with my heat stroke and all that. Okay. Well, you know, heat stroke is serious. Take care of that. Thank you. I will. Okay, stay in touch, and um, perhaps we'll see you in Penang at some point. Okay, I'll be here. Okay, cool. All right, have a good evening. You too. Okay, bye. Bye. How cool of a life is she living? What a fantastic and delightful human being. Hopefully we'll get to go on one of those tours at some point, and if you go do one, obviously uh, I hope you will send back some intel or photos or at least a little note saying, hey, I did one of those tours, and that would be... That'd be fascinating to connect people all the way across the planet via this little podcast, which I'm, uh, I'm delighted that you listen to. So thanks for supporting it, rating it, all those things. You can listen to bonus chats and things like that on Patreon. Thanks to Dan for putting it together. Here's some music from The Shelters, an L.A.-based band I think you might enjoy. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave. Ooh, love.